My name is Stefan Bauman, and thanks for tuning in on another podcast. Today, we discuss the language of art. We also review some of my thoughts and theories about temperature and how we use it. And I dwelled into the question, what were you thinking? So sit back and relax and enjoy another one of my podcasts. It's good to think. Yeah, instead of just kind of shooting that painting. I think a lot of beginning students, they kind of will follow uh, people. And so I get I get a lot of people that say, you know, well, why don't you demonstrate to us? Why don't you demonstrate? Why don't you paint more for us? And I go, well, because that really doesn't do any good. To casually watch somebody paint and not know what's going through their brain. The problem is a lot of the paintings that, the painters that are out there, uh, there's not a lot going through their brain. They have a lot of experience, but they don't know why. And I've listened to people and they go, why did you do that? And a lot of times the artist goes, oh, because it just felt like I should. You know, so so it's it's kind of hard when there isn't hard facts, when you don't know, you know, why we do something. And so my whole job in learning how to paint and teaching is try to fill out why. And a lot of it has to do with how the viewer receives things. And you'll notice that as we go further on in your coaching, that how the viewer receives things is is, is more important to consider than you know whether or not you, you have a pretty highlight on something. Um, because oftentimes what happens, then you go and start highlighting things that yeah, are incorrect. So, you know, I work from the viewer. And that's just kind of like acting and everything else. I mean, you know, you play the piano and you can make a lot of mistakes and the listener can hear them quite quickly. And so can the player. But a lot of painters make a lot of mistakes and uh, they're not aware of it. And if you actually challenge them and say why, they have really no explanation. So I've, I've been in, in teaching for 40 years. I would say for 30 years, I was teaching without full knowledge. It would, really wasn't until I discovered temperature. Yeah, there's a, a point where they said with Helen Keller, she said that um, you know, in her later years, they asked her, what was it like as a little child? And she said she didn't have any ability to even know she was alive without language. And uh, it wasn't until she discovered that things had names to them that she understood right. she she was alive, you know, basically. And so it's the same thing with uh, any of the arts. It's like once you have the knowledge, I didn't understand temperature um, until about 10, 12 years ago after teaching for 30 years. Yeah, and students would go, well, why, why are you doing that? And I would go, because, you know, <laughs> it was like, yeah, but then when all of a sudden I discovered the word temperature and what really, what that really meant. And I find that most people don't know what that means. But once they find what that means in temperature, all of a sudden I had language. I was like Helen Keller at that point. I'd go, you know, I could say how to describe things. And so my phone coaching has taken off like crazy because I have language to use and I don't need to be in the room. And students go, well, how can you teach something over the phone? And I go, it just works. And it works better than if I'm there in person. It works better when I talk in your brain. 
I have uh, two courses. One course is my regular painting course, and I teach this other course called The Power to Create. And in The Power to Create, it, there's 17 people in that class, and it's a three-hour lecture class for, for four months, 16 weeks. And uh, that class is like painting on steroids. And people go, well, how can you teach people without even them having the ability to paint in a classroom? And I go, it works like you cannot believe. You don't physically have to look at a painting and discuss it. You can discuss it if you have the proper language. And uh, so you're, you're beginning that journey of looking at things and, and being able to assess things through the use of temperature. So... Um, so welcome aboard welcome aboard uh, i have that buzzword so what were you thinking or what were you thinking what were you thinking and people go well, how does you know first when you say that it sounds so rude <laughs> and second it's like oh. yeah but but the thing is it's like it's i don't really care about a painting i care about what you were thinking and whether or not you portrayed that to me that's the main thing. You know, my art is communication. So if I have a point and I don't make my point, then have you communicated anything? And so when I ask students, what were you thinking? What I'm usually looking for is a comeback that, um, you know, says, because they've listened to my, my uh, tapes or my lectures or whatever, and they say, well, what I was thinking is the center focal point is this. You know, that's, that's my point. My point okay. is this. And so I asked, I asked, so what were you thinking? Because, you know, a student oftentimes will say, I'll look at their painting and go, what were you thinking? They go, well, I was really trying to get the egg yolk as part of what I wanted to get. No. And, and they, well, that the, that's what they're thinking. You can't, you can't right. like, you know, take away an, an artist idea, you know. And then I go, well, why were you thinking that? And then they can tell more of their story and then I go well you know I'm not really buying into that because as a viewer if I squint my eyes I don't even see the egg yolk anymore so all of that work that you did gets lost in value you know and so it's really important for a teacher to be in the in the mind of the student you know that's really important so when I say what were you thinking it immediately puts the emphasis on on you not what i think because i what i think is this is this in order for me to 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 see what's missing i need to know what you were thinking and it was interesting the student right before you before this call um he had one of my paintings and i had made a point to him i said oh wow i see that you have a master painting on your email here uh why did you include this painting and he goes well I have a question for you and I go what and he goes what were you thinking <laughs> I was like I was like touche um and so I had to be in your sh your you know shoes for a second so I had the tables turned but what's really important is to hear that and then you know what's interesting in, in that process because I'm I'm sitting here with you listening to everything you have to say and you're trying to tell me okay was this 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 and then I'm like listening to what you're saying and I'm looking at your painting going, 
it doesn't even appear that you made the effort to try to put the center focal point in that way. See, the thing is, that's why I have to ask you, what were you thinking? Because it, the picture oftentimes shows one thing. And oftentimes as students, while you're sitting in front of the painting, um, you, you see another. And so, you know, when I'm looking at your painting, I'm like going, hmm, I wonder if the lighting had changed when you took the picture and then you do kind of a Hail Mary before you throw out your your thing by looking at your painting going well this the brightest thing's here but i didn't quite get it because it wasn't that way when i was looking at it you know maybe the cat moved the light or or maybe when you took the picture something happened and that's why it's important for me to to uh, listen to what you have to say because some students will say well you know when i was painting it that light wasn't really on it you know my cat moved the light and you know it actually was on the back egg and so then what I have to do is judge what you said, not what's on the picture. And I don't really care what your central focal point is. If, but you have to choose it. You have to choose it, not me. Yeah, and, and when I listen to people critique paintings at like the plein air convention, I listen to, to the group of, of people and they go, well, this is a really nice painting. Obviously this and this and this wrong. Never once they ever asked, the, the person standing up that they're giving a critique on, they never ask them, so what was the point of this painting? What were you thinking? You know, they, they, they don't listen for that. They immediately want to throw in what's wrong. What I try to do is I try to listen to see what was in your head. That it stands out better. Yeah. Well, the, the Carlson's Guide to Landscape Painting, have you ever read that? No. Which one is it? It's the Carlson's Guide to Landscape Painting. It's been Carlson with a C, yeah. Carlson's Guide to Landscape Painting. Um, it was written in the 30s or 40s somewhere. It's it's a book that you can buy on Amazon, and uh, you don't need the 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 original copy handwritten by him before it went right. to press. You can just get an old beat up copy somewhere. You. Can, than the book itself. The shipping on it costs more than the book itself. It's a really cheap book. It's it's a real simple read. Uh, the only problem is is that it's kind of written in older English. It's kind of a, a kind of a a poetic kind of way of writing. So it's a little tough, but you can read it in a day if you're committed. But it has got everything you need to know about painting. It really is the guide to painting. I would recommend going to do that. And then in the last chapter, you hear me a lot of times in my videos, I say in the last chapter, the most important thing is memorization. And that is, if you're painting outdoors, your subject is moving every seven minutes. Uh, Monet did a series of paintings of haystacks, and he determined that every seven minutes, the light is significantly changed enough that you could actually do another painting. Knowing that here you had your egg shifting and moving, the one thing that you have to do is you have to first determine what your central focal point is and then be committed to stick with that. And that's where the memorization comes in. You have to be conscious and say at the beginning of the painting, before you even start painting, you have to say, my central focal point is this. And as the model shifts and moves and does whatever it wants to do, you have to be committed to that central focal point. When I did the television show, I would get up at four in the morning and I'd have my cameraman. Uh, we'd go out there and as the sun rose, 
I'd say, take a picture of this, take a picture of this, take a picture of that, take a picture of that. Knowing that at 12 o'clock when we would be rounding up the end of my painting, that all these areas would have been lit up and gone away. And by the time I got to the end, I wouldn't have those elements, but I wanted them in my painting, so I had to memorize it. And back then we didn't have digital. We had we were shooting in digital cameras, but we didn't have you know like cell phones or anything. So it wasn't like I could take pictures and then refer to them. I had to memorize how the light fell on the daisies and how it fell on the rocks and on the on the trees. Because at 12 o'clock when we finished our, our video, I needed all those elements in. Otherwise, the painting would look flat. So you kind of have to, before you start, go, this is my center focal point. It's this. And so when I ask you, what were you thinking? You immediately come back and go, what I was thinking was that the center focal point was this. And the light was coming this way. And this is what was happening. And I go, yeah, well, I don't see that in your photograph but i see that in your paintings because i memorize that you know um and and so that's why i look at here and i look at your eggshell and I go yeah why why didn't you go and put that spark in there if that's initially what you wanted to do and the reason why i'm going off on you like this a little bit you know early morning is because you did a damn good job okay. you did a really really good job and and so when yeah, there's there's uh, a thing with my coaching students. It's like, okay, so if you do a really good job, be prepared because we have a half hour. So be prepared to have a bunch of questions at hand. Like, how do you frame a painting? How do you uh, put varnish on a painting? How do you make a medium? All these things. So while you're painting, I want you to have a notebook that you just kind of jot things down because... Yeah, for the most part, a lot of your paintings will have issues. And I go in and go, well, okay, let's deal with this, this. And we can eat up a half an hour really quickly. If for some reason you do such a fabulous job, and which you did on this one, uh, except you don't have the center focal point in, you know. And and you and I, I can look at your painting and know that you, you know, you can put that in. So that's what you're going to do when we hang up and I'm, I don't even have to monitor it. I know what you're going to do with it. Although I'd like to see it next week. Um, okay. But that's why I always use those opportunities for me to pull up a soapbox. Now, I actually have a soapbox in my in my office here. And periodically you hear it kind of shifting underneath me as I stand up on it. So that I can, you know, launch, a, launch a, an artistic insight and bring up Carlson's Guide to Landscape Painting or Central Focal Point or What Were You Thinking and things like that. So that you get a, a bigger knowledge of why it is that we do what it is. Otherwise, I could just pat you in the head and go, well, that was nice. What do you want to do next? Yeah, so... So periodically I'll go on a rant, but it's only because it's stuff that I want you to know. So you understand my coaching, you understand what I'm looking for, you understand my questioning, you understand all this. You start learning my language and, you know, there's a lot of language that I've made up uh, because I don't, I, you know, I don't know if there's, there's words for things. I'm sure there is, but like checkering and eye magnets and bird holes and the things that I talk about. Those things are, are things so, so that I bring up to students and eventually all that stuff will start making sense through, through our language. So right now you're kind of like Helen Keller where I'm trying to give you more words and things so that when they pop up for your next painting, you can go, I know what he means. Okay. Any questions? 
I do have a question. Um, as I am painting, I, I put the drawing on the picture or on the, on the canvas with a pencil. And I find that the, you know, the pencil, at least initially, when you start to put paint, the graphite comes off in the paint. And I don't know if there's a way to stop that. Maybe I'm using too soft a pencil. Okay, so first thing, because we're almost out of time. First thing, if you're going to put a pencil on, um, you can spray with hairspray before you start painting okay. on it. And that will seal it. Uh, okay. Second thing, I don't recommend drawing your your painting in with pencil, um, predominantly because remember when your mom gave you a coloring book, what's the first thing she said? You stay in the lines. To stay within the lines, and so so by putting a pencil line in, if it's wrong, you tend have a tendency to not believe it, and you kind of stay there, and you don't want to change it. I'd rather have you sketch with a paintbrush. So you want to sketch it with a paintbrush because that way you're not that committed and you and you can kind of say to yourself, well, I'm not sure if it's right because your eggs are not quite 100% correctly drawn, you know. And so that gets us back to the original the original thing. It's not that it really matters because most people wouldn't even notice it. But um, the the thing that you don't want to do is put in a hard pencil line uh, because that becomes like a line in in a coloring book and your mom told you subliminally now you could think well i could change it but like you said if you have a bleeding line it tends to want to bleed it tends to want to bleed through everything and then you have to do another coat and another coat and you can fix that bleeding line with hairspray but it's still a line where if you kind of bring suggestions and start working with shapes and form and you'll learn this as we go along it's not like a paint by number. We don't get really good lines and then fill them in. Although there are artists that do that, and I can appreciate that, but I guarantee you Sargent didn't. Sargent was all over the place, and you've got to be willing to change and change and change and change. Um, uh, there was a, a painting, uh, I don't know if I have time for this, um, but there was a painting that uh, was, there was two paintings that were done by a famous artist. Uh, one was uh, in a museum, and the other one was in a library. And they were exactly the same. And they determined that one was a student painting, but they weren't sure which one was. So what they did is they took x-rays of them. And the one in the library had all of these changes and things, you know, like like accidents that were changed and changed. And the one in the museum had been done perfectly. And they determined that the painting that was in the library was the original. And the one done perfectly was done by the student because the nose, the eyes, everything was just copied. Right. You know? And uh, right. in the process of the artist changing, repentimento happens where the, you know, the artist repents from the first drawing to the second to the third. The, the, the act of painting is actually, in, it, it's a revolving thing. And oftentimes you'll see paintings where there'll be a deer and then it's taken out and it's, it kind of bleeds through after a hundred years. But artists are always changing their ideas, always changing their drawing. They, the initial drawing is never set to be a hundred percent right. They're constantly always fixing that. Daniel Green, at the beginning of every session, he starts to redraw it, uh, a portrait again. He's a famous portrait artist. And mm -hmm. he starts all over again 
with his drawing. You can never count on your drawing being right. And by putting it down in pencil, you kind of almost are, are staking your whole reputation that that was correct. So try not to do it with a pencil. Try to draw that out. And you know, the next subject matter is donuts. It's playful, it's fun, you know? Break it open, get the light going into the, into the, the raspberry, uh, make it delectable, you know, something, something grand like that. So it's all about the lighting effect and the drawing you're going to practice. You know, that, we've, got, we've got a long ways to go before we start taking apart your drawing, but that's why I recommend getting a um, um, proportional divider. So, Okay. There you have it. A proportional divider or proportional proportions, right? Well, proportional divider is a tool that you'll get that will make yeah, your drawing I, better. I have one. Okay. So, so once you get your proportions correct, the drawing becomes easier. But uh, right now, we don't even want to go into that. You had made a question about using a pencil or not, and I would yeah. suggest not to. Now, some, if some people really need that, and I would recommend, you know, maybe not using a black leaded pencil. Maybe what you should do is use a brown um, pastel. Okay. And then that way it kind of absorbs into your paint. Okay. Yeah, so they and, make pastel and, and pencils. Brush, do you, do you use it with turpentine or with a thinner so that it's, it's just, it dries quickly? Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. the thing is it will just, if you, if you kind of water down your paintbrush and, right. you know, with a lot of turp and you kind of put it on, uh, you want to be able to put it on and wipe it off, kind of gesture. You know, don't commit to anything. You know, it's it's kind of like a first date. You know, like you want to try to be in a public place to know where the exits are. It's the same thing when you do your painting. You want to make sure that it's in the right place. It might be moved in the process of painting. You might go, yeah, I want to, you know, I want to just shift things over. Maybe I didn't get my lips right or whatever. You know, don't don't commit to anything until you really see the painting develop. Uh, but still commit to your idea, your concept. You know, you, you can't you can't start writing a book about the Civil War and then all of a sudden change your mind halfway through and make it into like the the Vietnam War or into a love story when it starts off being something else. So you know you want you want to make sure that you have your idea and then you kind of build your armature, which is your 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 gesture drawing and see where it fits in the canvas and that needs to shift around once you get the drawing in and then you kind of uh, model the next thing and the next thing so painting kind of evolves i can't imagine what it's like to just stick something on a canvas and then be so focused on it that you can't move it and that's what a pencil line does it's like here it is um, you can get that way if you're doing a lot of sketches and evolve and evolve and evolve. But I don't want to do that either because I just get bored with it. If I got somebody sitting in front of me, I want to be able to go to work. And, you know, right. I shift and move things as I go along. Okay. So enjoy the process. Don't worry about the outcome. Um, and just put all of the elements in that I'm looking for and you'll be doing it right. I have like five or six things and you kind of name them. 
So I have kind of five or six things. One of my students, Veronica, really early on, 10 years ago, she's sitting in my classroom and she goes, I figured you out. And I go, what? She says, you only know like five or six things. And I go, yeah. And she says, you just keep on changing. I go, I mean, you just keep on repeating those. I go, you know, it's job security because I know that my students will forget that. And uh, even, even she's been in my classes for 10 years. And I will, every once in a while, I'll go, so what were you thinking? And she'll tell me something. I go, really? I go, well, what about this? And she goes, oh, I forgot. And I go, see, that's that, that's that element again where you just, you know, you just forget. You focus on one thing and then you forget another. I do the same thing with my students, too. My students go, why did you do that? And I go, oh, damn, you're right. I forgot that. <laughs> and so, you know, it's just the nature. We get caught up in our conversation and uh, of what we're trying to paint. And sometimes we just need another uh, person. Um, Winston Churchill says it takes two artists to paint a painting. One to paint it and the other one to hit him over the head to tell him it's done. Um and so uh, that's what I'm here to do is to hit you over the head and say it's done. Um, until then, we're just kind of constantly are adding things to the conversation. And that's what makes all this coaching so wonderful. So there you have it. If you want to get more information about my PBS show and my YouTube videos, go to www.stephenbauman.com. There you can register for a free book, Everything I Know About Landscape Painting. If you're interested in coaching, please don't hesitate to give me a call at 415-606-9074. And all the information about my coaching is also available on my website. So until then, I look forward to talking with you at their next blog. And always remember to paint with passion.